you're listening to Allied Health Podcast, talking all things Allied Health, with your hosts Danielle Whedon, physiotherapist, and Claire Jones, occupational therapist. In this episode of Allied Health Podcast, Danielle talks with Claire Epstein, a passionate health and safety professional with a background in physiotherapy. Claire is particularly interested in the role that culture and leadership play in creating a healthy and productive workplace and strongly believes that organisations need to address both mental and physical health in the workplace to support their employees and achieve sustainable outcomes. Claire and Danielle discuss the importance of work-life balance, mental health in the workplace, managing stress in your graduate years, and the importance of setting boundaries and asking for help when you need it. Enjoy. So today I'm joined by Claire Epstein, a passionate health and safety professional and physiotherapist by background. Thank you for taking the time today, Claire. That's a pleasure, Danielle. So we met in 1999 when I was a fourth-year physio on a clinical placement and you were grade one in your first year of practice. That's Mm. a long time ago now. It is. How could we forget? Oh, I know, back in the lymphedema clinic. That's right, that's right. So um, we've interviewed several grads in this first season of the podcast and each has mentioned the challenges of work-life balance in their first year after graduation and managing mental Mm -hmm. health and the steep learning curve and adjustment to practice that it is um, after university. So, of course, I thought about you um, to get your expert advice on workplace wellness mental and physical and, um, you know, the fact that you've experienced being a grad physio and you've had other roles that, you know, work to billables and under pressure. So Mm. um, just want to have a chat with you really. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, thank you. So I um, graduated a long time ago, although it doesn't feel it in in some ways, Um, and I practised clinical physiotherapy for only about five years. Some of that was in the UK. And then I came back and um, started working in Oak Rehab and health and safety. So I moved out of Oak Rehab after a couple of years, and that's where I, I um, worked under that billable hours structure predominantly. Um, and in the last few years, I've been working, um, I spent quite a bit of time doing OHS or WHS as it's known now, and now I focus more on the H in in health workplace health and safety rather than the S. So um, the job I have now is really all about workplace wellbeing and workplace health, um, whether that's from ergonomics and manual handling through to mental health. Excellent. And have you got some advice on to grads, really, and early career therapists on managing their mental health in an allied health environment? Yeah, I mean, that, I mean it's a big question, isn't it? Because um, there's so many different factors that affect our mental health. And if I think back to when I was a new grad, I think um, one of the things that probably um, I, I, I think I experienced the most was probably imposter syndrome. I felt having come from university where it was, you know, quite a, um, a, a I'm going to say nurturing, but it was quite a sort of a protected environment at university. And I remember my first day at St Vincent's Hospital and saying to the grade two physio who sort of said, all right, well, this is your ward and this is what you're doing. I was sort of hang on, isn't anyone coming with me? Isn't anyone going to watch what I'm doing? Yeah. And I was really quite shocked at thinking, wow, they trust me to just do this on my own and do I really know what I'm doing? And that that really freaked me out and I think I felt that immense responsibility and pressure um, to be 
amazing at my job and to know everything. And I think um, certainly I put a lot of pressure on myself to know everything and I really felt that I, w- I should. I was graduated, uh, I had graduated and I, I should know it all. Um, so I think my first bit of advice is to, to um, cut yourself some slack. You, you're not meant to know everything when you first graduate. So just because you've got the degree does not mean, you know, that you know it all. And I think you don't need to pretend that you do. And I, um, and so I think that, you know, if I could go back now and, and say, hey, Claire, just, just um, chill out a little bit, um, you don't have to be everything to everyone and know it all, um, that would be my first thing. I think there is a lot of pressure um, when you enter the work environment. And I think the other thing I, I now look back and reflect upon is that um, I probably thought that everyone I was working with um, had everything together. So all the seniors, grade twos, grade threes, they obviously um, had their shit together and knew exactly what they were doing. They were doing. And as I look back and think, you know, some of them were not that older than me and maybe didn't have that much more experience and they wouldn't have either. Yeah. Um, so that reminder that everyone, everyone, we're all human and we're all um, going through that suffering is universal and and this, and stress is. Um, and so we think that we're sort of going through something unique, but in fact, we're not. Everyone is going through a variation of the same thing. Yeah. A lot of the grads that we talk to as well um, are looking at and are working in roles at the moment in community NDIS. And mm. I think um, the overwhelming feedback is how broad the um, clinical caseload across community disability is. And as a yeah. graduate, even as a five-year-out therapist, you it's rare that you would know, you know, everything about the caseload that you're given. So um, I think even just that concept that you you can say to a client, I don't know, I don't know about this, mm. but and and seek help from you know somebody senior, but um absolutely just knowing that you you don't you're not meant to know everything, especially in your grad year. Yeah, but you still absolutely you still know a huge amount. So give yourself credit for what you do know and your ability to research and your ability to find the answers. And it's okay to ask questions. So I think I sometimes felt like I had to put on a, you know, this sort of mask of, well, I'm supposed to, I've graduated now, so I'm supposed to know the answers. And I think um, I personally have found, and obviously everyone has their own style, but it's okay to um, show some vulnerability and to ask for help and, um, it's actually a lot better to do that and and to, um, you know, question. Oh, I haven't have, had a lot of experience in this area, so I'd love it if you could um, help me out. Ask the people around you, and there's a reason why there's a structure in in um, in health professionals in terms of the grading because um, it's there for exactly that reason for um, you know providing supervision and support and um, your ability. You know, you're gaining knowledge along the way. Yeah, that's right. And what about, um, have you got any advice on um, establishing boundaries in work and life when you first graduate? Because it is such a steep learning curve. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I wish I had the answer to that even now. <laughs> um, because, I I mean, honestly, setting boundaries has become, as, you know, many, I'm working from home. I appreciate that a lot of clinicians are not able to work from home, but um the whole way we're living life has become so blurry in terms of um, 
in terms of work and life. Um, I think when you're working in a clinical role, you know, you can be exposed to some stuff that that really touches you and really gets to you at times and finding ways to acknowledge that but also find ways to um, leave that at work is really, really important. Um, so, you know, whether or not it's um, little rituals at the end of the day, um, a certain, certain, you know, songs in the car or certain things that sort of create a boundary between work and home, setting rules with family or friends or partners about how long you'll talk about some of that the work stuff because you do take it home yeah. and you do need to actually sometimes process that and debrief about it. But there's a line at which that then can become unhealthy if it pervades too much of your home life um, because you you can't bear all of those issues. I think also, um, you know, finding what what is important to you as an outlet, like, you know, what what your values are and then making sure that outside of work, you know, work is so important for us. It gives us purpose and meaning and, and it's incredibly important in our life, but also not losing sight um, of what is important outside of work. So whether that is staying fit and healthy, connecting with friends and family, um, you know, I, I still studied Italian in my early years of, of when I graduated and I would do a language class or you know, whatever it is, you know, playing in a netball team, making sure you don't um, lose sight of those things. And I know it's been really difficult in the pandemic to keep all of those things going, um, but making sure that you you have that outlet, whatever it is, and it's different for everyone, and that is a really big priority in your life. So you schedule it in and you commit to it um, and you you keep that balance. And I don't say that flippantly. I know it's easier um said than done sometimes to to stick to those things but it is incredibly important the other thing I would say is knowing when things really are too much and when you maybe um, do need to go to the next step of talking to someone professionally so recognizing when um, what you're going through is 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 actually sort of more than um the day-to-day fluctuations in mental health. So when we talk yeah. about mental health, we always talk about it as a continuum. So it's really normal that we all move up and down that continuum. We have good days and bad days. Um, and we at, at one end of that continuum is where we have enough bad days and enough signs and symptoms that we, we would actually satisfy a diagnosis of a mental illness. Um, and sometimes when you are moving down that end of the continuum, it can be quite hard to see it for yourself. It takes quite a lot of self-awareness and um, uh, I guess that sort of introspection to, to see it. Um, and when you are, aren't that great, often it's the people around you that will see it before you. Yeah. I know for me, when I'm not great, the thing that goes is my sleep. So I think everyone has a different thing, whether they're particularly snappy or they're aggressive or they're really defensive or they don't want to do the things that are you know, loss of interest and pleasure yeah. in the things that we normally enjoy doing is a sign. So I think it's really important to familiarise yourself. What are the signs that maybe I'm not doing so great? And what are the signs in others so that you're also looking out for each other um, and you recognise that in your friends and your colleagues and you say, oh, you know, you never want to go for a walk anymore. We always used to go for a walk or you don't want to play tennis or whatever it is and knowing that about yourself. So as I said, for me, it's my sleep. When I find I stop 
um, when I start to find myself really struggling to get to sleep, I know that I'm probably working too much, stressed, and not. I don't have the right balance. It takes time to learn those things. Um, you might have learned them through exams and through finishing up at school, but um, sometimes I think, you know, generally physios are high-achieving individuals. Um, yes. They've got a good mark at school and they've done really well to, to get into that degree. Um, hats off to you and me, Dan. We did it too. And um, But, you know, that means by the very nature of um, that cohort of people is that we can tend to ignore some of those signs because we think we should be able to do this. We and, should and be we able to do them. Yeah. yeah, and I think yeah. I think um, I think that, that these are skills for life. I think we'll be oh, you know, working on this from you know what's well, important to work on it your whole life. Yeah, yeah, and it grows over time. You know, you you get to know yourself so much better, and you realise, oh, why did I why did I worry about that? Um, and you know that all comes with experience and perspective. Um, but you know, I think discovering it along the way um, and sort of taking the time to self-reflect is is really important. Yeah, agree. Um, what about, have you got any advice on communicating assertively when you need assistance? Because I think it's easy, um, you touched on, you know, that concept of, you know, health professionals having, you know, potentially imposter syndrome when they're grads and feeling like they need to know everything. Have you got any advice on how to communicate assertively or...? Um, well, I, I think, you know, um, one of the best ad, uh, bits of advice that, you know, has been given to me is in terms of if you can communicate how something makes you feel, because that's hard to argue with. So it's if, um, you know, I feel out of my depth when I'm um, asked to do this task or when I'm allocated this patient or, um, you know, Communicating that is sort of hard to argue with. So um, rather than it becoming, you know, uh, a sort of a he said, she said, or getting into um, sort of a confrontational discussion, usually when you can communicate, this is how I feel when this happens, um, you're owning it, but also the person that you're communicating can't necessarily say, well, don't worry, you'll be fine. You know, if you're you'll be fine, you've learnt this or I want you to have a go. If you're letting them know, well, this is how it makes me feel or this is, you know, that is harder to sort of come back to. So I think owning that and, and acknowledging that a certain situation or a scenario or whatever it might be um, makes you feel anxious or stressed or out of your depth or and, and you can find the words that, that um, make you feel most comfortable. Um, so you may not want to use anxious or, you know, but stressed might make you feel it might feel a safer word to use or letting someone know you know I found um I've been worrying a lot about this um and I think I think the benefit now is that we're so much more comfortable talking about mental health problems so if I said you know I've really been having trouble sleeping since we started this project um, you know the workload I just think the, the expectations are unrealistic. If I said that to the people that I work with, everyone would be like, oh, "Okay, all right, what are we going to do? Let's let's realign that. Um, let's let's restructure how we're doing that." So, I think the world is a kinder place. I like to think, um, and that these conversations should be a lot easier to have. Um, I also think um, if you can't have those conversations with the people around you, then ultimately they may not be the best people. Um, you know, 
yeah. to be working with or to be friends with. Um, you know, if the people around you can't show compassion and, and care, then it's maybe not the best environment. And that's also a lesson that we have, you know, all learnt along the way about, um, you know, the people we work with and the environments we work in. Sometimes it's not you, it is it is the people around you or the environment and and the best thing to do is maybe find an alternative. Yeah, and we do talk a lot um, to any any therapists that we sort of that are looking for work, but especially graduates um, uh, sort of ascertaining what the workplace culture would be in a new job that you're looking at and what sort of questions. Mm. I don't know if you've got any advice, but what sort of questions that, you know, therapists might be able to ask in interview to get a sense of what support would be available in their workplace? I often ask, um, I, I mean, I often when I'm interviewing, I talk, I talk about the culture of the organisation. So I think that's a really important question to ask. What is the culture of the organisation? Do people have fun at work? Mm. You know, I want to laugh with the people I work with. I genuinely like the people I work with. And I, if, if there's no laughter and there's no fun, that's not a place I want to be. So I think asking about culture, if the person interviewing me says, oh, well, doesn't can't really answer that if someone asked me instantly I would say you know we have a lot of laughs and you know we, we like socializing when we can um you know we genuinely like each other that they're, they're really important um aspects of work so I think culture is important you can ask about how employee well-being is supported at work um you can ask about flexibility I think they're all really important aspects to you know what contributes to the well-being of people it's not whether or not you run well-being programs and whether or not you you know it's it's I mean we know that some of the things that impact well-being the most at work are are the structure of work the way work is designed people's workload the hours that people work role clarity all of those psychosocial risk factors are so important far more important than whether or not you're doing a step challenge and and I say that as someone you know I'm in the the business of, of health and wellbeing services for clients, but I recognise that they are not the, the fundamental um, influences on wellbeing at work. So I definitely ask about culture and, and how work is how wellbeing is supported. Yeah, yep. And jumping back a little bit, um, you touched, I touched on it, and then you said mentioned uh, when you worked in OC rehab, you worked available hours. We're finding mm. that um I keep saying graduates, but any therapist really working in private practice and or in community NDIS as well as occupational rehab at the moment are targeted to billable hours. Yeah. And I think I think some graduates are finding that really hard. Some employers are doing sort of stepped, you know, less billable for the first six months of their employment, which then, you know, um, eases them into it. But in terms of billable, billable targets, um, are you able to comment on how, how you if you remember how you manage them or meeting the demands of them? Um, I, I think in a weird way, I, I, I think one of the fundamental things with billable hours is being really organised. Um, and I, um, I actually didn't mind them that much because I was okay at working to a sort of a, a task and a target. So if you're that, if you're motivated that way, then it's actually probably not a really um, big ask because I sort of found I was quite motivated to get the work done and therefore the billable hours just followed. So 
interestingly, in hindsight, maybe I thought more about just what I had to get done than obsessing over the billable hours yeah. because that that comes when you focus Com- on, okay, well, a task. These are, yeah. yeah, complete a task and the hours will follow. Um, and so, yes, it was always sort of there hanging over. And, and I, I mean, it's not my favourite model and it's not how I work now, um, but it is quite common and it's common in, you know, lots of industries, not just in, in sort of occupational rehab and NDIS. But um, I wonder if there's a way to reframe it and thinking about, all right, well, what do I have to achieve and sort of focusing on the work and the tasks rather than this sort of, um, you know, hanging over your head, I've got to meet the hours um, because they should, they they should, it should solve itself if the yes. work is being done. Yeah, that's um, right. I don't know if that's a good answer, but um, that's sort of how I, I think I looked at it. Yeah, but it's um, it is interesting, isn't it? Because I I've I have not worked to billables um, in my in my working life, but I do talk to grads. Obviously, you know, billable hours are in place for an employer to be able to bill for their therapy services, but they're also in place for an employer to know that you're managing your workload efficiently and effectively so um, you're absolutely right if you're managing your workload a caseload effectively and efficiently the billable hours should follow with the work that you're completing anyway yeah and to be fair I didn't do that role when I was a new grad Um, yeah so that was a role that I'd done after about five years so perhaps I I felt more comfortable at that point to sort of own what it is that I was doing yeah Um, and yeah, and maybe that maybe that made a difference. Um, but I, I also kind of, I think I relished in the change that I will, I had moved from clinical roles then to to that type of work. So I kind of was enjoying the difference in, um, in work. Um, but I think, yeah, that I mean, it's a, it's a tough ask as a new grad. Not only are you getting used to working in a new environment um, and just working, mm-hmm. um, but feeling the pressure of needing to achieve those hours is is another thing. And I, I think it, it's uh, employers that perhaps have that stepped approach. It's a more reasonable way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and do you do you know much about EAP, Claire? A little bit, yeah. So we're not an EAP um, service, but a lot of our clients have EAP. And so that's a um, service that's funded by the employer. It's a a free counselling service. So usually um, the service is available to employees and to family members as well, in many cases, to to the employees, family members. And and there's usually every employer is different in terms of what they fund, but usually it's a number of... um, telephone counselling sessions so it might be three might be five might be two Um, but it's a really um, very underutilized service for whatever reason but um, we absolutely advocate for it when we're running training for employers so um, it basically it's a service that you can call to it's completely confidential so I I, I suspect that is why it is sometimes underutilized because there's a mistrust there um, but I can absolutely vouch for the fact that it is confidential. Um, you can call them basically about anything. You can call them to to talk about an interpersonal issue that you're having with your employee. You can call them about a huge fight you've had with your boyfriend. Like it, it is um, there for any um, so any sorts of issues, um, and incredibly valuable you know psychological therapy is expensive um and it can take a while to access so um to do that 
through your own GP and to then to go down that own path, your own path, um, can take time. Whereas actually having two or three sessions chatting on the phone with someone might be all you need to sort of resolve an issue and work through something. So saying things out loud and talking through what it is that you're experiencing um, can be incredibly helpful in resolving that. Likewise, writing things down is also um, uh, an incredibly beneficial way of working through a particular problem. So if your um, new grads have got access to an EAP service, I would highly recommend they utilise it. Um, it's, it's again, I think often there's a sense of people feeling um, like there's weakness in asking for help, but it's mm-hmm. it's a complete opposite. It's absolute strength to be able to say, I'm not right and I, I'm going to talk to someone about it. Yeah, um, yeah. And not let it get any worse. So, you know, if you always think about that continuum, your opportunity to sort of intervene um, and like anything, whether it's a physical injury or a, a psychological issue, the earlier you intervene, the far better um you know, the faster you can resolve it and um, get back to feeling like you again. Yeah. And have you got any, are there any other ways mental health can be uh, supported in the workplace? Um, yeah, I think there are, I think just being aware of what help is out there is really important. So, um, you know, the world is a different place now. You're hard pressed to look at the news on any day and not see some story about well-being or mental health. Um, So I think that's really comforting, knowing it's really normal to talk about these issues Um, and that whatever you're experiencing, the people working around you, no matter how together they've got it, they've probably gone through exactly the same thing. Um, So I think acknowledging that and being kind to yourself is really important and then knowing where to get help. So whether that's through EAP whether that's through going and talking to your GP. So that's another really important person that we sometimes forget and we think we just go to the GP for sort of other medical issues and we don't think to go sometimes when we're feeling down or we're feeling not ourselves. Um, So GP is an incredibly important step. There's also amazing um, websites. So Beyond Blue has a free counselling service, Lifeline for crisis situations, Um, the Black Dog Institute, there's amazing resources. Um, There's little quick quizzes that you can do with a sort of a check-in, whether it's anxiety or whether it's depression. Um, There are um, also, uh, there's a website called This Way Up, which has some online courses that you can work through. I I think they were all made free, have been made free during the pandemic. Um, And there's loads of different um, incredible resources there. Um, and I think also just the other important thing is to perhaps create a network, a a peer support network with your, um, fellow graduates checking in on each other, um, and looking out for each other because, you know, you're used to being together at university all the time and then everyone goes their separate ways and it can feel quite lonely at work if you, if you feel, Um, I think in truth you're not alone, but I think in those early years it can feel a little bit like you're alone. So whilst you may not be physically with the people that you studied with and graduated with, I think if you can create um, 
and network with them and and check in on each other. That's incredibly valuable because you're all going through the same experience. Yeah, it's so true. There's lots of social media sort of graduate, you know, OT and physio hubs and, yeah, definitely keeping in in touch with your peers that you've gone through university with. Um, But I also interviewed Leanne Kerr from the APA just, um, I think it only came out today, but she was talking about some of their uh, student and graduate um, benefits for uh, members and they include sort of graduate hubs and support services. Oh, great. And I think OT- Claire interviewed OTA as well, which comes out today and they're, they're the same. So I think um, I think as a graduate in, you know, those early years, reaching out through your membership, you know, your membership body as well um, could be a good idea. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think also, you know, I've, I probably took work and have, have many times too seriously I think and I think um, you know without a doubt um, all of your the grads that you work with Daniel you've done an incredible job and um, you know to be out in the workforce it is a big jump and I think the the number one lesson I think we need to be kinder to ourselves and and realize you know it's one part of our life Um, I probably overthought things and worried about things too much that I think, gosh, if I could have that that um, time back, um, and just sort of um, uh, be a bit kinder to myself, that would be the the number one um, lesson. Because um, you know the experience that they're gaining and the exposure that they're getting, it's all incredible life experiences, and um, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to kind of. Um, jump ahead and and um, feel accomplished in everything, and it just doesn't work like that. And I no. think accepting that is is part of it. Yep, yep, I agree. And um, have you got any advice to your younger self as a graduate physio? Or you've probably just said it. Be kinder. To I probably yeah. Be kinder and um, probably just relax a little bit. Do you know the other thing that I have thought, um, which is. Uh, this is, I'm sure there aren't that many new grads with children, but once I had children, I realised that probably the, the grade twos and threes that I was working with that had small children were so sleep deprived. <laughs> and I now have a totally different um, perspective on what they were going through. But as a new grad and as a grade one, I never thought about that. I, I just thought, oh my gosh, they, they're all over it and they, you know, they're so good at their job. And But I now look back and think, gosh, I would have worked with so many people who were exhausted <laughs> and had probably been up all night um, and I never had that perspective and I think, um, you know, it's funny as you get older and you realise, gosh, the, the things that people are going, everyone is going through something at different phases in their life and yeah. I think just being aware of that, yeah. um, it, it probably would have given me more comfort just to go, oh, okay, cool, just the other thing is mostly no one's really thinking about you. You're thinking yeah. about you all the time and everyone else is just getting on with it. And, um, you know, I think that also gives me some comfort. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, all right. Well, thanks for taking the time again to speak with us. I've got no doubt our grads will love to have um, listened to this and I always love chatting to you. <laughs> oh, I know. We could chat all day. <laughs> I think we'd lose some listeners along the way. I'm sure we would. All right. Thanks again. Thanks, Dan. We hope you enjoyed listening to the Allied Health Podcast. 
In the show's notes, you'll find links to our free recruitment resources, job opportunities, and healthcare marketplace insights. To listen to new episodes, please subscribe via Apple, Google, or wherever you find your favourite podcasts. And if you've enjoyed the show, please give it a five-star rating and review, and be sure to tell your therapy colleagues and friends to tune in. Tune in.